Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are all in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Audra, for reading God's word. Well, I know we just got done praying, but uh, as we come to the text this morning... And we were in verses one to three last week, but before we jump into verse four, I, I want to stop. We were going to do this later on, but I think it's just helpful to just stop right now and remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, freshly reminded of that reality, um, because when, when I got home from church last Sunday, was made aware that some missionaries in Haiti uh, were imprisoned. Um, I think it's six men, six women, and five children uh, who have been taken. And they've been there all week, and there have been many that are, are praying. And they're not the only ones in the world, but that has hit our news. So before we jump into the text for this week in verse 4, let's, let's apply verse 3. Would you just join with me? We have some prayer points. I'll make sure that Wes gets these out um, on uh, social media so you can have them, so you can be praying uh, for those missionaries. So just join me as we pray. Father, we ask, God, that you would remind us, not just now with this urgent need, but, but continue to remind us of those who are in prison, those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel. And right now we ask God that you would meet these missionaries, these men and women of God who went to a place they knew was dangerous. They took children with them and they have uh, been enduring who knows what. We don't know the condition that they're in. We ask God that you would strengthen them, that they would look to Jesus right now, that they would experience endurance in their faith. We pray, God, for open doors for them, for the gospel. I pray that their captors would see the countenance and they would smell the aroma of Christ around these believers and that it would draw them to a place of repentance. Would they come to a place of repentance by seeing the example of these believers? And we do ask God for their deliverance. Would you deliver them from this place of captivity, preserve their lives, uh, protect them, protect the children, Lord. So we ask God that you would meet them, uh, that they would sense your presence and your peace. And lead us, Lord, as we open your word and continue to study your word together, Lord. We pray, God, that we would see Christ 
and see how the truths that we apply are informed by what you've done for us before what we need to do for you. We ask all this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. So please be praying for them as well as other brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Well, we're going to jump into our text this morning, which starts with, let marriage be held in honor among all. So if we have enough time, we're going to be talking about both marriage and money. And I know that when those two subjects come up, immediately thoughts of guilt, shame, hurt, pain, any number of things come flooding to your minds because of maybe your experience Maybe some of you desire to be married and aren't. Maybe some of you have been married and experienced the pain of divorce. Maybe you're in any number of places. And so you come to a passage like this, and maybe even in reading it, you want to quickly jump over it and get to the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. And that is a good and right thing to do because he is our helper. But it's helpful for us as we go to study this text to know that the writer of Hebrews did not start with verse four of chapter 13. Okay, as, as you remember, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, he spent 10 chapters talking to us about how great and awesome Jesus is, right? Jesus is greater. Jesus is the anchor of our souls. There's so many things he points us to Christ, and then he encourages us to endure, And even as he came to the end of chapter 12, he slowed things down and said in verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He wanted his hearers to remember the place that they're going, the direction that they're going, the place that's secure for them. That's what comes before we come to these practical applications. We need to understand what Christ has done and the kingdom that we're going to. The world that we live in is broken. It's broken and we feel that brokenness. And so as we talk about marriage, we need to know that it's rooted in Christ. We need to know what Christ has done. We need to know that as we talk about purity in marriage or how we think about it, that God is a consuming fire and we're called to offer worship. That's the backdrop. So really, the writer of Hebrews doesn't say a lot, but the hearers heard a lot because they're in a context. In that context, they were Hebrew Christians, which meant they were super familiar with their Old Testament. So the author of Hebrews doesn't have to define certain things because he knows they already know. But the backdrop is God. God's a consuming fire. He's a God, and we want to love God as a church. It's one of the things we're called to do. We want to love God, love others. We talked about loving others last week, so we're going to talk about loving God and holding marriage in honor. So as we love God, we hold marriage in honor because We love God, but it's helpful to understand the context. It's always helpful to understand the context. So the original hearers, though they were Hebrew Christians, they knew their Old Testament. They lived in a culture that was given to sexual perversion and all kinds of indulgences. And so the writers calling the church as authors in Scripture call the church to be different, to look different. Different, and that's going to have an impact on those around. 
So their culture that they were in really isn't much different than the culture that we find ourselves in. Sometimes you might even say that it would have been maybe even worse for them in certain spots, but it's getting pretty bad. I mean, the attitudes towards marriage obviously have, have gone downhill. Even, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, ideas of what marriage should be, all kinds of definitions of what marriage should be. But God gives us a definition in the Bible of what marriage should be. The culture mocks kind of love and marriage. One, one person sarcastically stated this at, when describing what love is. This is what they said. Love, temporary insanity, curable by marriage. That's what, the, that, that's, the, that's the view that the secular culture has towards marriage and, and using the word love as if it was nothing. But again, the original hears when they read or when they were read to, let marriage be held among all, let marriage be held in honor among all, the word marriage meant something to them. It wasn't a movable definition. For them, it was rooted in the Old Testament. So leave your fingers there in the book of Hebrews and turn back to the book of Genesis. First book in the Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse 27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then it goes on with the creation story. And then we get on to chapter two and then the creation story is kind of retold Again, and we come to verse 18 that says in chapter two, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then the story goes on. He takes a rib out of Adam and he makes Eve. And he says in verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's what it says. And Jesus even says in Matthew 19, 16, therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. So even as we come into the book of Hebrews and we hear marriage, there's a lot already in that word. There's so much in scripture that they would have understood. The original Christians would have understood. They would have understood that marriage was a covenant, lifelong relationship given, you know, that, that was called to between a biological man and a biological woman because we were created male and female, both in same in dignity before the Lord, but different. And that was their understanding as we come to the text in Hebrews. But it's so much such a beautiful picture because it says in verse 25, and the man, and so we're still in Genesis, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And I'm not reading that so that people can blush and, and like, oh, did he just read that in church? Well, it's in the Bible. But it's a beautiful picture of what the covenant relationship of marriage is supposed to look like. Completely vulnerable. A place of safety, a place where trust should happen. Now, I understand some of you have, have had experiences that 
weren't that or you've seen those that weren't that, but the picture is one where this is supposed to be a beautiful union, security. And that's the picture that's held out to us in scripture of what marriage looks like. So that is the backdrop for us as we come to the text in Hebrews that says, let marriage be held in honor. That union. Now, again, I want to just take a moment. Those of you who have experienced pain when it comes to marriage, whether it's you aren't married and you want to be, you have been, as we unpack this, God's heart isn't for you to feel shame. I want to take you back to the reality that Jesus despised the shame. Back in Hebrews 12, verse 2, Jesus despised the shame. He bore our shame. You aren't to carry that weight because Jesus carried that weight. Jesus can make all things new. He can restore that which the moths have eaten. So even as we talk about the things we're going to be talking about, you're going to have to fight for faith because I understand it's going to be hard. It, it's going to be. But we want to open God's word as we go forward. And we all long for intimacy. We all long for that intimacy that's talked about here in Genesis and then that would have been understood by the original hearers in Hebrews. We want that intimacy. Well, maybe I'm not experiencing that intimacy in my marriage, or maybe I'm not because I'm, I'm not married. You tell me there's something out there that's so beautiful and, and I can't have it? But marriage, friends, is ultimately supposed to point us to Christ. It's supposed to point us to Christ. Obviously, the author of Hebrews, he talked all about Christ, but in other parts of Scripture, in Luke and Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom. In, in John and Revelation, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. So the beauty that was told to us and held out for us at the beginning of creation is going to be seen again when Jesus gets united with his church. And then when Paul talks about marriage, he references it in regards to Christ and his church. Marriage is supposed to reflect Christ and his church. Jesus is coming back for his bride. Our you found in Christ waiting for him to return. If you haven't, I, I exhort you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's coming back for his bride. And even as we talk about earthly marriage here and how we should respond to that, ultimately those marriages are supposed to point to something far greater. Jesus is coming back and he's gonna bring his bride to himself. That's the relationship in which we have where we find the safety that we're longing for, where we find the intimacy that we're longing for, where we find the place where we can be naked and unashamed. We can just lay ourselves completely bare and know and trust that he's gonna take care of us. So no matter where you are at, married or not married, Ultimately, we need to find our satisfaction in Christ. As it says back in 
Hebrews chapter 12, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now that is a knight in shining armor that you can wait for to come riding in. And he's going to. So we can honor marriage, no matter what the place that you're in. Love God with your whole heart now. I mean, Paul even references that when he talks about singleness in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. So he, he commends. We have this thought that like, like the Christian life, sometimes in Christian circles, like you've arrived when you get married. Paul says the opposite. There's a lot of work when you get married, but, but you are, are anxious about the things of the Lord. Verse 35 says, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. The first place to start, even before thinking about marriage, is an undivided devotion to the Lord. So if you're single, you can be encouragement to the marriages around you because it's not like they're experiencing, it's not like they're getting some great thing that you're not getting. They're not. Because we are looking to Jesus. And if you are married, you can be like, well, how, how can my marriage point to Christ? Because it says, let the marriage be held in honor among all. Before he gets to like, the stuff that people just kind of run to. Don't do this. Don't do that. No, he's like, hold marriage in honor. There's a heart attitude there. Are you leaning in in your marriage? In what ways do people see Christ and that future union by looking at the example of your marriage? So let marriage be held in honor. So let's love God as we hold marriage in honor. But let's love God as we value God's plan for physical intimacy. So it says, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. So yes, the word bed is referring to physical intimacy. I think that's pretty obvious as we look at the text. Physical intimacy belongs in biblical marriage and nowhere else. Nowhere else. I'm going to read again what Jesus said in Matthew 19. He said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So it's not one flesh before they leave their father and mother or before they hold fast. No, it comes after they hold fast, after making a lifelong commitment. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, this isn't real popular. It hasn't been real popular in American culture since before, I mean, in some circles since before I was born, but certainly increasingly so. This is not popular. 
to make this statement that this physical intimacy should only be reserved for covenant marriage between a man and a woman. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point the recording of this message could be used to put me in jail. But this is what the Word of God says. And we, we hold up the Word of God. God created marriage, and He gets to decide how the gift is to be used. Because that physical intimacy is meant to be shared in the context of a safe, loving environment. It, that's how it's designed. That's how it can be fully enjoyed. It, it can't actually be fully enjoyed unless it's in the, the constraints and the confines of how God designed it to be. Because it's not just about the, the, that time when those things happen. And we don't need to go into details. It's about also how you emotionally deal with those things the days, the weeks, the months, the years afterward. It's the whole thing. Every time physical intimacy is described outside the bounds of biblical marriage in Scripture, it's described as an affront to God's good design. And and it's serious. And I don't want to make light of it. But some, and, and many, are going to try to, to convince us otherwise. And we're breathing in air otherwise. We're breathing the air that says that, that physical intimacy, that pleasure that you get there, is the ultimate source of satisfaction. Don't ever deny anyone that desire in their life. Um, Jesus was never married. Jesus didn't have a marriage bed. When I read my Bible, I don't ever find that Jesus was missing out on some kind of amazing thing that, that I get to have. No, I see Jesus encountering an intimacy with his God that is something that I'm longing for and I'm longing to have. He was perfect. He was the image of the invisible God. He was fully satisfied in God. So physical intimacy can't be the ultimate source of satisfaction. Because even as we look to heaven, as we look to heaven, the Bible says we're not married or given in marriage. I, I still can't fully even grasp that. Being married myself, I can't fully grasp the fact we won't be married, but we're not. So if you want to look, you know, what does it look like to be in heaven the singles actually look more like that than the people who are married. Because we're not going to be married or given in marriage. So that, that thing that is experienced in the context of marriage and reserved for the context of marriage isn't going to be heaven. And I think we all can agree, heaven's going to be categorically different than here. Like categorically other better. Just think about that. Let that just blow in your mind. The culture's holding out something for us that is passing away. It is a good gift from God in the context of marriage, but it is passing away. 
We're to look to Jesus. But there is a sobering reality. If we choose to ignore God's good design, judgment comes. You look back at your Bibles. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That's that's sobering and it's hard and it's extremely unpopular. But I will say we should not lead with that statement as we relate. And we'll talk a little bit more about how how we live out this conviction with our unbelieving friends, unbelieving neighbors, those that we hold dear, those that we're praying for, that they would know Christ. But I do want to say we don't don't start with this. We start with Christ. But as Christians, we should be sobered by what this says. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Anyone who remains in unrepentant sexual immorality will ultimately be judged by God. Because as we read at the end of chapter 12, our God is a consuming fire. That's what it says. And his word is terrifyingly clear about it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and following. It is God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 1 Corinthians 5, there's a call to disassociate yourself with those who call themselves Christians but continue to be unrepentant when it comes to these things. I'm not saying that you haven't struggled in certain ways or haven't made mistakes and sinned against the Lord and you've gone and repented. If you have experienced challenge or if you've committed sin and you have repented before the Lord and you've asked for forgiveness, you are forgiven. The things that I did I'm not proud of before I was a Christian. And even after I became a Christian, as I've, when I repented of those, God has forgiven me. And he has forgiven you. And you need to know that forgiveness. You need to know it's washed in the blood of Jesus. That's not meant to be carried around as some weight. And when you hear these words, it's not meant to be like the Bible just beating you over the head again. That's not. You need to know the forgiveness of Christ. You know, the forgiveness that's found in trusting in him. But the, the author writes it because it's real. We need to be sobered by it. And I think in particular, us as a church living in the culture that we live in, We need to be sobered by it because the air that we breathe pushes back against this truth every single day. If you've been on social media or some news site or read the newspaper, there's always something out there that's giving you some subtle message that's trying to tell you it is fine. This is really great. You should enjoy this. Don't let anyone tell you differently. 
And most of the time they don't use words, they just use images that try to distract you and say, this is beautiful. When this is what's beautiful, what God has created. And when we hold out the beauty of that, and when we honor that, we experience joy and satisfaction and peace like the world can't. The world just can't. They look like they can, but we experience something day in and day out, week in and week out, that they don't. And let's not just run to the things, even as you look at this text, it says that, that God will judge the sexually immoral. There, there are more than one ways that the marriage can be held in dishonor. I mean, there's the hot button items, whether it's the LGBTQ plus agenda, Christians can hang their hat on that and be like, yes, we want to distance ourselves. That's not true. But there are, there are other things. Pornography does not hold marriage in honor. Giving into sensuality does not hold marriage in honor. Living with someone before you are married to them does not hold the marriage bed in honor. Having an intimate emotional relationship with someone who is not your spouse and somebody else's spouse doesn't hold marriage in honor. Not being sexually pure and we could go down the list. There's, it's not just one thing. It's not like, well, if I don't do that thing, I'm fine. God's pretty comprehensive. But let this text sober us. But let it not bring condemnation upon us. Because the author cast a vision of Christ before this. And so he throws out warnings, but he's cast a vision of Christ. When he says, hold out marriage and honor, he's been saying, hold that out. Like, think about, think back to Genesis, what this was created for, the beauty of this. It's a wonderful thing. Christians aren't meant to be like the killjoys because they don't let you do whatever you want to do. Rather, we are to be a compelling example a compelling example to a lost world that needs to see something different. Marriages are to be, in the Christian context, should be a compelling example. Singles who hold their lives out fully devoted to the Lord are meant to be a compelling example to show the world that you, you, there's something better. There is something better. And I know it's hard, brothers and sisters. I know it's hard. I know pursuing purity isn't easy in, the, in our cultural context. It's not easy. But as we pursue something greater, God could use it for, for his glory. There may be practical things we do to pursue purity. Maybe we need to put some apps on our phones or have accountability, have regular fellowship with the saints so that whenever you start to have an inclination towards something, you can nip that in the bud. And, you know, the seasons I feel the least temptations actually are not just that I have all these right tools in place. The seasons I feel the least temptations are the seasons when I am considering Jesus, when I'm abiding in Christ, when I'm running to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need, that's so much more effective than software on my phone. Now, I still have software on my phone that sends an email to my friend every day of what I've looked at on my phone. 
But the thing that helps me most is running to the foot of the cross and delighting myself in Jesus and being grateful, as it says in verse 28, being grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and then worshiping God, worshiping God alone, worshiping God with the saints, worshiping God with my whole life. That's what helps most. And that's what's going to help us be the aroma of Christ to God, to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. Because this truth is, it's a hot button truth that we hold to as Christians in our culture that we will be judged for and the world actually has opinions about. Because the biggest criticism I've heard from those who don't know Christ, whether they are part of you know, the LGBTQ plus community or those that are finding themselves not knowing Christ and pursuing sexual sin in other ways, what do I hear the most? You're judging me. And the sad reality is they feel that way because Christians have judged them. Christians have judged those who don't know Christ. We should be sobered by that reality. The word calls us not to judge. Jesus says in Matthew 7, judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Friends, if they don't know Christ, Romans tells me they they don't have the ability to live righteously. They're blind. If someone walked into our building today and they couldn't physically see, they couldn't physically see and they walked into one of these wood posts, you would run up and you you would see if they were okay. You would seek to help in a way that would help. You wouldn't walk up to them and smack them upside the head and go, why are you walking into that post? It sounds ridiculous, but every single time Christians pull out this verse to people who don't know Jesus and condemn them and say, you're doing something sinful, you're doing the same thing as hitting a blind person who walks into a wall. They need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ more than they need to hear the truth about how their lives should be lived. They need to hear about the wonder that Jesus, was, Jesus is God and he came and he emptied himself absolutely fully and completely. And he gave his life for them. And he's coming back. The marriage they should hear about is the marriage of the, the lamb who's coming. He's coming to take his bride so they can be a part of the bride. That's what they need to hear. And your life can testify to them. Now, friends, I understand we don't want to compromise. We don't want to accept something as truth when it's not truth. But absolutely, the accent should be on loving others. It should be on loving others. Jesus spent time with those who did not know Jesus. So much so that did not know him, that did not know God. So much so, he was accused in Matthew 11 and Luke 7, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
we all know Jesus was perfect. And uh, religious people call Jesus a sinner. Why? Because he spent so much time with people who weren't following the law that they're like, yeah, he's just like them. Would people say that about us? Would religious elite people accuse us of being sinners because we hang out with them so much? And how do we hang out with them enough? I mean, we talked last week about not neglecting, not neglecting to show hospitality to strangers. Do we hang out with them enough that the aroma of Christ might, might be so pleasing to them that they would respond to the call of the gospel? You may be familiar with the story of Rosaria Butterfield. The story is this. A pastor and his wife invited her, a woman, into their lives who identified as a lesbian. <coughs> Rather than distance themselves, they displayed kindness and hospitality and a willingness to listen and to treat Rosaria as a human being created in the image of God that started to wear down defenses that, that she didn't even know that she had built up. Over the course of two years, the pastor and his wife, their names were Ken and Floyd Smith, welcomed Rosaria. They received her as Christ had received them, had endless conversations. In the meantime, she was reading the Bible, and the Bible was undoing her. She would talk with them about what she was reading, and it was a conversation, not a Bible thumping. What Ken and Floyd Smith did was they realized that being a lesbian was not the biggest sin in Rosaria's life. Being an unbeliever was. So they lived and shared the gospel and they modeled for her how to apply a life of faith to the fallen world and the many trials and the many trials which people living in a fallen world face and we struggle with. Two years into this relationship, she left the bed that she shared with her lesbian partner and an hour later, she ended up in a pew at the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. And Rosaria would say, she thought I had she thought, she thought this, she thought, I thought I had been on the side of kindness and compassion and justice and diversity and goodness and care and even morality. It was my complete undoing to realize that it was actually Jesus that she had been persecuting the whole time. Not just some historical figure named Jesus, but my Jesus, she says, my prophet, my priest, my king, my savior, my friend, that Jesus. From that day forward, that began a long journey of learning what repentance means and encountering the grace of the Lord Jesus. Friends, there are certainly practical ways in which we personally need to, before the Lord, hold marriage in honor. I don't have to go through all of those. I think the Lord's brought conviction about those things. And if there's a place for you when you spend time in prayer to repent, will repent and know that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we want to know that as we apply the truth of the scripture, but also as we apply the truth of the scripture, let's not hold it over our lost friends. May May those who don't know Christ 
see something different when they see you. Whether you're honoring marriage in your marriage or whether you're honoring marriage in your singleness. May they see something that they've never seen before. And may God use it to bring him glory and to draw their hearts to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So consider, pray for opportunities. It seems scary when you enter the world of someone who's living in a way that's completely different than yours. But I just want you to know something. Jesus went before you. He already did that. And he's gone before you and he's your anchor as you go and you engage. So as we hold marriage in honor, let us not be Bible thumpers. Let, let us be Christ followers and the aroma of Christ. Well, we're not going to get to the rest of the passage. Let's pray. Father, Father, we've covered so much ground in just one verse, and there was so much that was understood by the original hearers of that verse. And I pray right now, Father, um, for those who are here who are struggling. If you're here and you're struggling because you've, you've felt a conviction, know that you can come to Christ right now and confess your sin and he will forgive you of your sin. Lord, I want to also pray for those who are struggling in the context of their marriage or in the context of wanting to be in marriage. Lord, help us to see afresh what Christ has done and look to him to love you as we love him and help us, Lord. Help us, God, to be the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. Lord, help us to see the grander vision that you have of this passage than just do this, don't do that. The grander vision is your glory. And may we look to the, the day when Jesus will come and retrieve us his bride. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.